All right, good morning. Hey, welcome to Bethany, West Seattle. Uh, if I've not yet met you, uh, my name is Prentice, and I get the privilege to be one of the pastors here, along with Pastor Megan and Pastor Taylor, and Hannah is not with us today, but we're just so grateful that you joined us this week uh, here today in person or online. And for those of you traveling, I know a lot of families are traveling right now for uh, midwinter break. Uh, we pray for safe travels. Uh, and if you watch this sometime later, we want to welcome you as well. So uh, as a reminder, we are starting, well, well, we'll be starting a new series on prayer next week. Uh, but this Sunday, right now, we will be closing uh, our series on First on John. And, and I loved going through First John because we're just peeling back the layers uh, of what our faith looks like and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, and the, the message is very simple, not simplistic, and not easy to live out, downright messy sometimes. Uh, but when we pull out the layers and go to the foundation of what we believe in Jesus, uh, the message is clear. It's love God and love others. And we've been thinking about uh, and unpacking what that looks like and how we actually live that out tangibly as a community and as individuals, uh, as followers. And so this morning, we're going to close that out uh, in essentially a summary of what John has been talking about. In First John, and I said this to the staff earlier this morning, that John is very repetitive in the way he writes and the way he preaches. Uh, and believe me, as a communicator of this, uh, I feel it. I feel it, the, the, the repetition and how repetitive John gets. But all that to say is it's because this message was very important then in, in the, towards the end of the first century. And, and I would say so important for us today, right now, as we live out our faith, as we have, I would say, have overcomplicated our faith in many ways. And so the, the challenge and the encouragement for us and the hope is, what would it look like for us to just peel back, uncomplicate, unravel things? And I promise you, at the heart of it, the message is loving God and loving others. And so I'm going to pray, and as we continue to pray, I ask our community to continue to pray as well. We talked about this idea of the power of prayer, and uh, as of the last I read, I think uh, yesterday afternoon, there's 46,000 people that have died in the earthquake in Turkey, and, and I would say in Syria. I want to make sure that we, we say Syria, I think, because of some geopolitical things, that uh, it's Turkey. Uh, but it's also Syria, and, and I do think there's some racialization going on there. But just Turkey and Syria and the surrounding areas, there's 46,000 people that have passed because of the tragedy of the earthquake. And uh, there's people that they're still trying to save and recover, and hope of that is getting lesser and lesser. So we'll continue to pray for that. Yeah, I was going to talk about some volunteer stuff, but I think the important thing to focus on in our prayer is praying about and believing together as a community that something that happened halfway across the world, prayer does something. And of course, it's not limited just to prayer and good thoughts, but it could include giving financially. It could be, uh, for some of us, the extreme of 
maybe physically doing something there or just trusting and empowering people that are on the, on the ground there to do and to move. So, so let's pray. God, thank you so much for the ability that we can go to you, a powerful and big God. And we, and we just ask for forgiveness that sometimes we have a hard time believing in that. But we know that you're moving uh, across the world, even in the most glim and, and hopeless moments and times, especially those that have experienced the, the earthquake and have lost loved ones or people that have been physically hurt. And so, God, may our hearts break with the things that break yours, and that includes loss and grief and lament. That is part of what it means to love you. That is what it means to love others. And we thank you for that, that heavy burden and responsibility to do so, that our life is not just about ourselves, that the world is big. And thank you for caring about those things. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, so I don't know about you, but for whatever reason, I, in our neighborhood, I, I joke and I say, it's the neighborhood of yard signs. Uh, and maybe your street is very similar. Maybe you have some yard signs in your front yard or particular flags or, or whatever it is. Our, ho- our, our house is situated in a neighborhood where, and I don't mean to generalize, but sometimes I can kind of just guess uh, just what side of the aisle they may be as far as politically. You know, there's a, there's a political support on this side. Maybe they lean more progressive or liberal, and the others would be more conservative uh, or Republican or Democrat or whatever it is. And I drive and I see this every single day. But there's one house that is pretty intriguing to me. Uh, in their front yard, they have several signs and, and a couple flags, uh, and one is a, a pride flag, uh, one is a Black Lives Matter flag, and then there's a yard sign that says, Stop Asian Hate Post. It's like they've covered all their grounds, uh, and it, it feels good. It feels good to see that. And then, strangely enough, in the same yard, there's a Texas flag, uh, there is a... Um, a political candidate that, that I would say that leans a bit on the more conservative side, uh, all in one, one house. Now, again, this is because of my own generalization and my own uh, essence of polarizing, but that house is very confusing to me uh, because I want to ask, well, where do you stand? What do you believe in? And, and for whatever reason, because of our own conditioning of what's happening in our culture, I say, well, you can't do that and that at the same time. And again, that is due to our cultural conditioning, and I have to confess that the reason why it's confusing to me is because like our culture, I have fallen into this myth of this false duality. And many of us, especially in the last few years, we've lived this notion of false dualities even in our own lives, just watch the news outlets that we consume, our social media, our conversations within even our own echo chambers that we live in. We've lost the ability to think creatively. And, and frankly, and this is myself included, we've gotten lazy in, in how we view the world. And, and, and really, we've lost the ability to view God in God's powerful and big place. Uh, 
And, and again, for whatever reason, we've put God into this little box where everything is just left or right, progressive or liberal, black or white. And, and, and we've lost the ability to think about the middle space about the gray, about the nuances. And I get it, it's uncomfortable because we have to let go of control of the way we grow, grew up. We have to let go of the control that we, uh, we have based off of our family systems and our experiences and our social economics or whatever it is. And I get it, it's hard, it's uncomfortable, it's scary to say, what if God, what if our society, what if our worldview is way too small? Because we've confined ourselves to one side or the other. And, and I've done this, and I do this with that house. It's confusing to me because I've viewed this world in this false duality of what I've been conditioned to think. We have conservative, we have liberal, we have Democrat, we have Republican, we have white, not white, we have Christian, we have secular, which that's a whole different sermon in its own right. We have, even in the Christian sense, we have, we have to be uh, in our personal devotion. We have to grow in Christ. We have to memorize scripture. We have to go to church every Sunday. Yes, true. And then we have this other side. No, being a Christian is about doing good. It's about social justice. It's about pursuing, uh, you know, people that have been on the margins and oppressed. And I would say, yes, that's also true. But so many times we've created two different types of Christianity. And I would argue and submit to you it's because we've already been conditioned to think that way. And John here in 1 John writes to a church that is experiencing the same kind of duality, a false duality. And he ends in this chapter, and he says this, and I'll read this. It says, chapter 1, verse, verse 1. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and... Don't forget the end, carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And I love this part, and his commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. You see, in chapter 5, and we've talked about this exhaustively, that John is dealing with two heresies that are infiltrating the church, and it's regarding the person of Jesus. See, the Christians in the first century, when John was writing, this is about between 85 to 100 AD, he's writing to uh, Ephesus, people, Christians in Ephesus, and he's addressing these two uh, dualities of their view in Christ. One is that Jesus is only God, and there's a slide to, to, to show this. There's Gnostics and Orthodox, two polar opposites of how they view Jesus. And the first is that Jesus is only God. Jesus is only God uh, and, and not human. So therefore, how we live on this earth does not, does not matter. It's because of the, in this Gnosticism, they believe that because Jesus is uh, not physical, literally uh, Jesus was this ghost walking around on earth, uh, they concluded that this physical matter doesn't matter. This physical material sense of our lives don't matter. What matters most is going to heaven in our spiritual sense and being with God forever and ever. And so how we live, how we treat people does not matter as long as we worship God 
as long as we think about the spirit, what is pure and what is holy, and ignore the material. That was Gnosticism. And on the other side of the argument, the other heresy was the orthodox, that Jesus wasn't God, Jesus was only human, and therefore they were waiting for the Messiah, and until the Messiah came, they had to live by the laws, doing all the rituals, doing all the ceremonies, and making sure that everything that they did in life was in accordance to the Old Testament laws, and anything straying from that would be sin, would be shameful, and it would bring upon guilt. And so John flips their worldviews and ideologies on the table, on the table, flips it upside down, and he says to both groups, he says, look, you both are living in this false duality, that is not only unnecessary, but it's frankly, it's bad theology. And, and the reality about Jesus is this. Number one, that Jesus is actually both human and God. Yes, Gnostics, I'm talking to you that Jesus wasn't just God, but Jesus was also human. Jesus was both. Hey, Orthodox, I'm talking to you. Jesus was both human and God and divine and holy and sacred. Both of you are wrong. Both of you are right. Both have lost the ability to be creative. Both have put God into this little box of their own that only agrees with their own side and their own sense. Both of them are doing the same thing. And John comes and flips it over the table and says, look, in order to truly follow Jesus, you must believe actually not one, not the other, but both, that Jesus is both human and divine. That's number one. And number two that following this Jesus requires, yes, a personal devotion to him and a love for neighbors. Basically, he's talking to the Gnostics and saying, hey, you don't really care about your neighbors because you believe that this material world, that this life on this planet right now, it doesn't matter. We just need to go to heaven. Well, John is saying, well, guess what? Not only is Jesus fully God and fully human, but you have to actually care about this world. You actually have to care about what's happening in your presence. You actually have to love your neighbors. You actually have to do what is good, pursue justice, do what is right, and not just think about this afterlife. And then on the other side, he's saying to the, the, the Orthodox, you only think about what you have to do. You only think about crossing off all the checklists, about checking off the boxes of what it means to follow God based on the, the, the law. And, and John is saying, guess what? It's not just about that. It is about believing in Jesus and surrendering your life to Jesus. It is about your personal devotion. It, it is about how you live and how you connect and your intimacy with Christ. Jesus is not just a human being walking around on this earth. Jesus is God, and your relationship with God matters. Intimacy with God matters. Both matter. You see, furthermore, he says that the kingdom of God, there's three things. The kingdom of God critiques, and I want us to understand this right now, that the message of what John is saying really impacts us today. And, and, and what he's saying is this. First, the kingdom of God critiques every side without partiality. That may make you upset, that may make you happy. But no matter what side of the aisle you're on, 
not just politically, but maybe even theologically, maybe socioeconomically, maybe even racially, whatever it is, Jesus' ways never shows favoritism because the kingdom of God critiques every single side without partiality. And John speaks towards, particularly around this unkindness and self-righteousness, frankly, that they both have that was occurring. And he was saying, you think you're right, you think you're right, but guess what? The kingdom of God critiques you and critiques you. And we both, all of us, need to come to the middle and see what God's kingdom has to say in our lives. In other words, even for us today, we need to stop. We just need to stop with our arrogance and our finger pointing and our accusations that God is on my side, but God is not on your side. Just like John is critiquing the Orthodox the Gnostics, just like John is saying, hey, you know what? The kingdom of God critiques everybody. So let's just put down our facade of perfection. We don't need that. Let's stop our finger pointing as if we're the only ones that have it right and the other side, whoever that other side is for you, has it wrong. The kingdom of God critiques your side. The kingdom of God critiques my side. And the point and the objective following after Jesus is saying, all right, Jesus, forget about the preconceived notions I bring to the table. What is it that you have to say? What can I learn? What can I do differently? Number two, the kingdom of God cannot be contained by social or cultural expectations. You see, instead of fully surrendering and allowing God to be God, each of these two groups wanted to control God, not to be controlled by God, but they wanted to control God, to put God into this little box and saying, all right, God, this is how you should be. This is what you should agree with. This is how you should support uh, my camp or whatever it is. But you have to understand the kingdom of God is above and transcends our social and cultural expectations. Sometimes there's nuance in who God is. Sometimes there's this, again, this gray space. Not this side, not that side, but this, this strange and mysterious and divine side that we may not fully understand, that we may not even fully agree with. But it doesn't really matter. What is God saying? What is God doing? How is God moving? And I think it requires a sense of creativity, trust, surrender, and imagination that God is bigger than our own little worlds. So the kingdom of God critiques every side without partiality. The kingdom of God cannot be contained. And the kingdom of God only operates as the Spirit moves. The kingdom of God, Jesus' way, does not care about any side or any teams or any political affiliations of any agenda. The kingdom of God moves strictly and only by the Spirit. Now, maybe some of you have heard about this, but 12 days ago, 13 days ago now, there's a university in Kentucky, Asbury University, 
they had their college, they had a typical chapel service. And as a student of a private school, as a Christian private school, I remember dreading going to chapel. In fact, uh, we were required to go to a certain amount of chapels a year, and I would skip many of them. I had this, my friends and I had this weird thing because I, I went to Seattle Pacific University, and you had to go to X amount of chapels. Uh, and what you had to do was then write a little short essay about the chapel services that you went to. And it was, you know, A, for our spiritual formation, but really B, just evidence that we went. And I had four or five friends that we'd get together, and we would all agree to go to one chapel, but separate chapels, and then just share notes. So we got to skip chapel for majority of the semester. I, I compare that story, I share that story because in the same way, at Asbury University, there was a, a typical chapel 13 days ago that the students had to go to. And I can just imagine how they felt, like, oh, they don't want to be there. They're just, go, they're just going because it's part of the program. And 13 days ago, that chapel, the, the chapel service, the chapel started. And today, 13 days later, the chapel service is still going on. Something happened. The spirit moved without permission. The spirit moved that was above any boundaries. The spirit didn't care about their age, mid-20s, Gen Zers. The spirit didn't care about what famous preacher that was there, because there wasn't. It wasn't this big old grand event. The spirit didn't care. The spirit said, I'm going to move here, and hearts will be transformed. There will be unity at the center of Jesus. There will be worship. Barriers will be broken down. And I just read this morning that they're going, the university is going to just stop it. They're going to force it because they're still going on because of safety reasons or whatever. I get it. But the, the point is this. The point is they showed up to an ordinary chapel service 13 days ago. And little do they know that the spirit was just going to rush and just overwhelm them and break down barriers. And there was people from all over the country that went to, to witness this, what they're calling the revival. A revival, and they, they're calling this the Asbury Awakening. There was a revival of thousands of students. And I have a picture of what that might have looked or what that did look like. Imagine, when this first started, it was just maybe... 100 or 200 students, and then the spirit came and rushed, and people caught wind. They came. There was healings. People came to know Jesus. People heard the message of Christ. There was prayer for one another, and there was a revival, which, meant, uh, which means awakening, where the spirit came, and there was a reckoning on that campus. Again, led by the students, for the students, no celebrity pastors, no programming. It just happened because the Spirit said so. Now again in John, he says this. He goes back to the message about loving Jesus and loving others. Both are necessary in our faith. It's not just one or the other. Yes, we've lived in this notion of dualities, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, social justice, Bible study. 
and this is what was happening with the false teachings in, in Ephesus that John is addressing. And John is saying, you know what it's about? It's about loving God and loving others. It's about loving God and loving others. And John is saying this to us today. If we want to move forward in our faith, if we want to grow, if we want to go, if we want to move forward in our faith, oftentimes we must move backwards and go back to the basics. The basics of our faith. John's message to Ephesus is the message for us today. In order to move forward in our faith, we must go backwards to the basics. In verse 2 of 1 John chapter 5, it basically says, Love God and keep his commands. In Matthew chapter 6, 33, it says this. Matthew says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And this is kind of a hot take. Yes, the message is love God and love others, but I would also submit to you that it starts with loving God. When we love God, we naturally begin to move towards obedience and faithfulness. When we love God, when we sincerely and genuinely pursue Jesus, without any conceived notions, without an agenda from the left, without an agenda to the right, when we genuinely come to Jesus with curiosity, with hope, with all barriers broken down, with surrender, without the sense of control, when we come to Jesus wanting to worship Jesus, to love Jesus, then naturally there's a transformation in our hearts that compels us to love others. And to keep God's command, that is God's command, is to love others. Are you, we, are you, or am I, are we genuinely, continuously pursuing Christ? Is your main priority intimacy with Jesus? You see, when we seek the kingdom of God first, get ready. Because oftentimes it will be countercultural. And we know this because, you know, there's moments where we don't want to speak of. When the Spirit is telling us to speak up around these divisions, sometimes we clam up and we say no and we just rather pick a side because it's easier. But when we seek the kingdom of God first, our lives will be countercultural. When we seek the kingdom of God first, it will never be stagnant. In other words, when we seek the kingdom of God, the Spirit just doesn't have us just sitting there. The Spirit of God compels us to confess. The Spirit of God compels us to repent for the mistakes that we've made, the ways that we've hurt others, the ways that we have not devoted our life to Jesus. The Spirit of God does not keep us stagnant. It keeps us moving towards generosity and to, and to forgive others, and to hospitality, and to pursuing justice. When we pursue the kingdom of God, it's always going to be countercultural, and it's always going to push us and move us forward and never leave us stagnant. And finally, when we seek the kingdom of God, it'll always lead to love. 
We see this because God is love. The whole message of 1 John is saying that God is love. And because God is love, if you're filled with God, genuinely filled with God, you cannot help but to love others. And this analogy comes over and over again, and it's like this cup with this pitcher of water. When we fill our cups and it starts to overflow, that overflow is the byproduct of what is within us, Christ's love, that we give away to others. The whole message of 1 John is when we go back to the basics, it's all about filling ourselves with God's love, not paying attention to what's happening in the world. In fact, it's not only not paying attention, it's being countercultural to every single side because remember, the kingdom of God critiques that side and this side and this side and that side and gives us a new and better way to live. But when we live that way, it will be countercultural. It will not be stagnant in our own box of comfort. It'll continuously transform us and move us towards forgiveness, towards generosity, towards repentance, towards confession. And again, it'll always lead to love. And it's not just this this cozy, this comfort, this like mushy way of talking about who God is. God is love. That is powerful. What if our world, what if your life was filled with more love? What would that change? And again, that doesn't just mean coddling people. It just doesn't mean offering people hugs, and maybe it does. But what if it means radical forgiveness? What if it means radical generosity? Because remember, we talked about the love of Jesus on the cross was a demonstration of sacrifice. What What if we loved others so sacrificially? It may not be giving up our physical lives. Maybe it does. But what if it means giving up some of your precious time? What if it means giving up some of your resources, your hard-earned money, some of your privileges, some of your blessings? What if it means relinquishing that in order to draw closer and find solidarity with others? Now, that's radical love. That's not mushy and gushy. That's not, you know, this like cozy kind of love. That is dangerous kind of love. And that's a love that is oftentimes really scary to live out. But Jesus is saying, because I died and resurrected on the cross, this is the way you should live as well. I promise you that will change your life. I promise you that will change the relationships around you. I promise you that will draw intimacy with you in Christ. You see, the gospel, this is the main message of John. The gospel is holistic. And anytime we're missing a piece, we are not living out the full message of Jesus. And so, yes, it does, uh, the, yes, it does include worship, intimacy with Jesus. It does include growth in personal devotion, It does mean entering into your spiritual practices. Maybe that's memorizing scripture. Maybe that's just singing songs to yourself. Maybe that's being in a small group. Maybe that does mean how as early as it is showing up to church on Sunday mornings to, to collectively and corporately worship and pray and to be with others. Yes, our Christian faith includes this personal personal devotion and intimacy to Jesus and giving up our cross every single day. Yes, it does mean that, and we must pursue that. And it does include caring 
out, carrying out his commands, which, which there's no agenda behind it. In 1 John, it, it does, it simply means, remember we talked about this in chapter 3 and chapter 4, what does it mean to love others? It means to give. It means to care for the oppressed. It means to love and to be with those that are marginalized. It means not to ignore the poor, the widow. It means caring about what's happening in the world today. It means pursuing racial justice. And we have, I love our church that we have so many opportunities under the leadership of Taylor, who's a director of racial justice and reconciliation. It gives us opportunities to pursue God's command. It is God, and again, this might be another hot take. It is God's command for us to care about the marginalized, the oppressed, the poor, about inequities, about racial justice. It's about naming our own privileges, and we all have these privileges. It means confessing in how we have perpetuated the structure and the system of oppression. It includes both. It includes all. It, it, the, the following Jesus includes loving God, pursuing our relationship with Christ, and out of an outflow of that, to love our neighbors. And when we miss one or the other, here's what we get. When we don't love others and we only care about this worship, about singing and about the WWJD bracelets, I kid you not, when I was in college and I first was like serious about my faith, <laughs> it's almost embarrassing, but here's the way, here was me. I had this T-shirt and it had, you know how we wear name tags? And, but it was like a, a screen, it, was a, it wasn't a name tag, it was like printed on the shirt. It said, hello, my name is forgiven. And I would walk around, and you can laugh if you want to, but I, I would walk around with that shirt saying, hello, and they're like, oh, hi, forgiven. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And, and yes, there's something beautiful about that, that, you know, the whole idea of baptism is proclaiming our new life and birth in Jesus. And so I'm not completely shameful uh, of my proclamation of my belief in Jesus, but I was so, the point is this, I was so caught up in just being close and intimate with Jesus, and that was it. I wanted to memorize scripture. Uh, I, you know, I, I wanted to just sing worship songs. I wanted to have my daily quiet times, and I didn't really care about what it meant to carry out his commands, as it says in 1 John chapter 5. In fact, when I don't think about that, when I don't do that, it actually brought a sense of self-righteousness. You know, we may not say this out loud, but we walk, I would walk down the street and I would say, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, I'm going to heaven. And again, we may not do that, but sometimes we live like that because we're only focused on one side of our faith. And no wonder people get so turned off with Christianity when we do that. Some of the biggest complaints that happen even within my own family that I, I that honestly I have no objections towards. Christians are filled with hypocrites. The church is filled with people that don't actually live out the commands of Jesus. Christians are actually hateful. 
Christians actually perpetuate violence. Perpetua- uh, Christians are actually racist. Christians are actually this or that. And, and most of it, I'm like, there's no argument there. There's no argument there. And, and I would say this. If, and oftentimes, if you're watching, and this is your first time, or you're skeptical about faith, just thank you for showing up. Thank you for taking a risk on a Sunday morning to show up to this church that professes Jesus, that oftentimes fail to live like Jesus. And honestly, that's me. I, I do that. And on, not only on behalf of the church, but on behalf of myself, I'm sorry. This is what we get when we only live out in a, a partial aspect of our faith. But then again, if we only live doing justice work, I want to say, first of all, that's good. Serving is always good. Giving is always good. But when we, as followers of Jesus, do it without the the foundation, the undergirding uh, of who compels us to do this, people don't see the reflection or hear about the hope that they also have in Jesus. That many of us, especially as followers of Jesus, when we do good things, it's important for us to understand, to have the humility to say, it's not just because I want to give and because I'm so great and I'm so holy. It's because there's this Jesus who died for me, who resurrected on the third day, changed my life, and has compelled me to live and give sacrificially as Jesus did. You know what that does? It removes this idea of of Messiah complex, of this hero complex, where I come in almost in the sense of uh, this colonizing way, and and many of us, I have my own critiques around short-term missions, but we do it, and I think it could be done well. But oftentimes we go into a poor country and say, look, let me save the day. Let me build you a house. Let me give you money. Let me teach you these things. And and the reality is when we come with a a more proper understanding of why we're there, the reason why we're there is because we're broken too. The reason why we're here is because we've experienced Jesus' forgiveness. We've experienced the restoration and healing and transformation of our life in Christ. That's why I'm here. That's why I give. That's why I love. Not because I'm better than somebody. Not because I'm above you. Not because I came here to save the day. But because I'm broken just like you. And there was a Savior that I want to introduce you to. So there's a both. Our faith, our holistic faith, is both devotion and doing good. That's what it means to keep Jesus' commands. And I'll end with this. I love this part. It says, it is not burdensome. Literally, the the Greek word is heavy. It is not heavy. It is not like a chore. It becomes a natural way of life. It's about spiritual formations. We're formed. We're growing as we grow in Christ. So as I invite the worship team back up, I just want to give us an opportunity to reflect our own hearts. And there's this, I watched this HBO documentary called, um, like Jesus, I think it's called Jesus Music or something. Uh, and it's about this evolution of Christian music. It's really good. It's really fascinating. 
and it talked about how worship music, uh, Christian music, had, had become a huge business and that we've turned it into something that it was never meant to be. And so there was this artist named Matt Redman who wrote this song, this old, and if you've been around the church, maybe you know this song called, um, like, Heart of Worship. Kind of leave it to the worship pastor to, to remind, the heart, I'm coming back to the heart, I won't sing it. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And, and the, the purpose of him writing that is saying, you know what, we've lost all sense of what worship looks like. And I would say beyond worship music, we've, many of us, we just need to peel back the layers, uncomplicate things, and just go back to the heart of worship where it's all about Jesus. And when it's all about Jesus, we cannot help but to naturally want to love and to give and to be generous and to forgive and to pursue justice. That is what it means to keep God's commands. And so I'll end with this. When, when we hear about revivals, uh, a revival that's happening at Asbury, yes, that's beautiful, that's wonderful. But guess what? Uh, another pastor reminded me that revivals can happen right now in their own hearts, in their own communities, in your own church, in your own lives, within your own friends. And may a revival happen with you this awakening where it says, I love Jesus and I want to love others. May that be an awakening in our own lives. Maybe this morning it's about coming to grips and asking for forgiveness. Maybe it's repentance. God, I've been living a half gospel. It's only about doing, doing, doing. Or it's only about this personal devotion. Both are good, but both are necessary for a holistic faith. Maybe this week, it's about living out that holistic faith that Jesus calls us to. Let's pray. God, thank you that you require so much of us to love you, to, to walk humbly with you, to do justice. That is what's required according to Micah 6. And we thank you for that burden that you lay upon our hearts. May we live that out faithfully and forgive us for the ways that we failed. In your name we pray, amen and amen.